0: week. Hopefully you enjoy the the weather. It seems like it's going to cool down in the next week. Of course, it's probably because it's going to rain. But when preparing for this week, this isn't a traditional sermon. You might say it's the elders asked me to speak on the conference that we attended a few weeks ago. As Dwayne was just saying, and that's kind of different. You know, you're you're sitting there mulling back over the information that the speaker was talking about, and. You're trying to think to yourself, how in the world do you take five hours of lectures and turn it into 15 minutes? So, so I, I think I was able to do that. <clears throat> and hopefully uh, the spirit moves in that and it encourages us to reflect with each other. Now, first off, the trip out, uh, it was very, it was amazing. I've never been to that part of the country before. Uh, I would strongly encourage people to take a vacation out there. It was so beautiful, and everything out there was so old. You now, I was telling Jordan last week, we stayed in a hotel that was built in 1842 next to a bridge that was built in 1813. The conference center was across the lake that was named after George Washington's aid in the Revolutionary War, and the Baptist Church in town had its first meeting in 1775. It was just amazing, the history out there and the... The farms were very different. Every house was white. The barns were made of stone on the base and all had lower levels. Everyone had Massey Ferguson tractors (laughs) instead of John Deere. It just looked like something out of a painting, you know. And when we were driving through the mountains of West Virginia, the trees were so thick. You couldn't even tell her there was a town. It was just every once in a while you'd see church steeples sticking up through trees. And uh, but at night, it was awesome, too. We were going through there at about one in the morning and we would cross valleys and you would just see all the lights in the houses lit up, weaving their way through the mountains and uh, the kids rode well. So that was a miracle and a blessing. (laughs) a 14 and a half hour drive. We weren't sure how they were doing, but uh, how they would do. But all went well. And the van got us there and back safely. So that was a blessing as well. Now, the focus on why we went out there was obviously the conference, and the topic at hand was the role of a rural church in its community and lighting a passion for prayer within the rural church. Now, the man that was speaking on this is named Brad Roth. He's a minister from Moundridge, Kansas. It's about four and a half, five hours away from here. And Brad has a background that's very different than most people in the Midwest. He actually comes from a a huge city in Washington, and he felt called to rural ministry, and so he came to Moundridge, Kansas. I think they're about the size of Garden City, and he has began to study rural communities and rural churches, and he's actually written a couple books on this topic. So in thinking about how to present the information today, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to just give a synopsis of what Brad said, and then I'm going to ask some questions at the end to kind of reflect on, and then we'll... We'll read a, a scripture together. So, the first thing he did is he started talking about aspects of a rural community and aspects of a rural church. So, when we think rural, the first thing we think about, right, is farms, agriculture, uh, different aspects like that. And even those of us that don't live that lifestyle, we have an understanding of that because more than likely someone in our family did, right? But even at that, There's still people within our congregation that have never drove a tractor, never backed up a trailer, never cut cows, you know, but there's still this understanding. And part of a rural community is how close we are with each other, the neighborly relationships that we have with each other. And there's an aspect of that helping each other out when we're in need, uh, helping a friend or a neighbor, doing stuff with our hands. Like even if you're an office worker, you still split wood or help your uncle with hay or something, you know. And so this gives us an understanding that can help us in the community relate to people, people that aren't even believers, and open up conversations that we can use to begin to talk to them about Christ. You know, you can talk to Christ about Christ at a feed store. You can talk about it at a hardware store. It doesn't matter where you're at. There's always an opening. And the example of this is the Apostle Paul. Paul used a commonality of values to be able to witness to people. And when you read Acts 17, you see him doing this when he's speaking to the philosophers and he's talking at the altar of the unknown God. He states that you are religious in all respects. And what he's telling them is that I see that you also are seeking truth. Allow me to tell you about who the real God is and. Acts 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. There's so much going on in that. But even in that, it is Paul finding the commonality with the people in that culture that allows him to bear witness. Another aspect of rural communities, as Brad states, is that oftentimes we are very protective of our reputations. We have a reputation. We don't want it tarnished. We don't want anyone looking down on us, especially people that we're very close to, and so that can do a couple things to rural churches. One thing that it can do is it can encourage things to be swept under a rug or ignored and never addressed because we don't want to we don't want to tarnish someone, we don't want to have a hard conversation with them and insult them because we care about them, but it can also Cause our relationships to be superficial because of the reputations we have hold. We don't want to open up to each other because it's scary and we don't want each other to know the sins and the struggles that we have. But he was speaking and he said that sometimes the people that we are the closest with, the people that have known us for our entire lives are the very people that are best suited to help us through situations And so I was trying to think on this, and I was like, well, what what would be an example of this in my own life, right? So I got to thinking about different uh, brothers in our church here. So if you take, like, John, Neil, Ethan, and Kevin, right? Some of these men I've only known in the last few years. Some of them I've known a while, but I haven't gotten to know them until the last couple of years. And it's easy to pray with them. Because they don't know my past. They don't know what I was like 15 years ago. They know me for now. And it's very easy to open up to them. But then, take another group of men, right? Take Dwayne, Willard, and Randy. Well, these three men have known me for my entire life. And it's hard to ask for prayer from them because I don't want them to judge me. I don't want them to look down on me. They look at me in a certain way, and I don't want to change that. But when he's speaking on the people that are the closest to you being able to help you, I think the example I thought of was there's three people that used to be in our congregation that have gone home with the Lord, and all three of them had conversations with me at different points. There are Calvin, Ken, and my grandmother Evelyn. Calvin had a conversation with me about, I think it was five days before he passed away, that I will always carry with me. The very last prayer breakfast that Ken Steckley ever went to, I was talking to someone, and he came up and said, hey, Kyle, can I borrow you for a few minutes? And I said, yes. And he took me out to his car, and we sat there for about 30 or 40 minutes, and he had a conversation with me that I'll always carry. And my grandfather, I loved him very much, but... He passed away when I was first married, so he wasn't able to see the way that I am now. And before my grandmother went into the nursing home, I sat down with her and I had a conversation. And I said, I want to know what Alvin thought of me. What did he see in me? And she told me. And those three conversations are conversations that I will carry with me for the rest of my life, and they were only possible because people that had known me for my entire life were willing to open up and help me. Calvin didn't have to talk to me when he was so sick. Ken didn't have to be so honest with me, and I didn't have to take the time to ask my grandmother that. But those are three conversations that are blessings and I will always carry with me. So being able to be intimate with each other and not worrying about our reputations. Rural communities also possess what Brad called an extremely long memory. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of thought that was funny. But he, he speaks on this and he says that these long memories that we carry can be a blessing and a curse, right? So it's a blessing because memories stay with us. The people we experience in our walk, the people that are part of our congregation, uh, even people that move away, right? Like if they made an impact on us, we will always remember them. We even talk about them to each other and the Christ-like love that they showed. But it's also a curse because knowing each other so well and having these memories, we don't forget about mistakes people made, blunders they made and past sins that they committed. And because of that, in rural churches, it can be difficult for people to give each other grace, forgiveness, and allow trust to be restored with our brothers and sisters. And when he was talking about this, I thought about the book of Philemon. If you've ever read that, it takes just a couple minutes. I think it's like three-quarters of a page long. But when you read that, you see Paul writing to Philemon about Onesimus, and he states that, he wants him to welcome him back as a brother in Christ, but also let him come back into his house. Let this man that stole from him come back into his house. So not, I think a part of forgiveness that we often overlook is that there is an aspect of a restoration of trust that has to happen. So if you have had problems with a brother or sister and you have forgiven them, the question to then ask yourself is, do you now trust them? If you do, then you probably have. If not, then you may want to re-examine the forgiveness given. But also sometimes our long memories can cause us to seem like we are unwelcoming to people. An example that he gave was we look at houses and we remember them for the people that lived there 50 years ago. We have no idea who the people are that have lived there the four times since. And I'm guilty of that. I mean, if you ask me how to get to Herb Melinda's, I'll tell you to go to Chester Yoder's and take a left, Right. But so I do understand that. But I also understand the point that he's making to be welcoming to the new people that are coming into our communities. So the new people that are coming into our church to allow them to become the part of the body and to become part of the memories that we have moving forward. And another example was newer brothers and sisters that we have in our community. You know, there's families that have only been here for a few years now. And sometimes when you've been going to a church for decades, you get caught up in things. But it can also make you, how do you like unable to see things from the outside in. But if you talk to newer brothers and sisters, they have a different point of view on the church. And so I would encourage you to, to seek out people that have been coming here for a few years and talk to them on why they love us so much, why they decided to become a part of us. And it's not that the spirit is stagnant or anything like that but rural churches have to ask themselves are we maximizing our potential as a church and he states that every church should ask themselves where they should do less and where they should do more he also states that the church's responsibility is to reclaim the mission of growing the church spreading the good news to the community around us right and he states that sometimes rural churches, when it comes to witnessing to the communities around us, we kind of let ourselves off the hook, right? Because most of the people that we converse with are in our church or they're in another church. And when we walk out our door, there's hundreds of acres of just fields. so there's no one to talk to right? right? But, but even in that, we know that there are still people in our community that need to be reached. And he states that, Every church should figure out how to be missional in its own way. In its own way, how can it be missional? And so some examples we thought of while sitting around the table was, and I don't know, this may happen, but like the sale, right? And if this does happen, I'm sorry. I show up, get my food, and talk to people. I don't pay that much attention to what else is going on. But, but, you know, do we have a table with a box of Bibles in it? with a piece of paper in front of it that says free, please take one. Or a box for prayer requests that we can go through through the year and pray for, pull one out each Wednesday night and pray for. Or something like there used to be a man that attended church here named Scott Smith and he used to do uh, Jacob's well. It's just a tent with water to hand out to people with the little paper cup and the paper cups have a Bible verse on them. There's just little things like that that we could do that might make us a little more missional without changing tradition or anything. It's just adding a little bit to it. But also, he talked about this website that any of you can look up, citydata.com, right? And he said that your church needs to realize the window that it has in speaking to people. So if you look up Cass County on that, Cass County's population is 104,687 people. 36,175 attend church. That means that there's 68,512 people in this county that don't attend anything. If there's 100 of us in here, that means each one of us have 685 people we can witness to. And even take that on the smaller level to Garden City, right? There's 1,600 people in there. Let's pretend for a second that 50% of them go to church, right? Well, that means that there's eight people for each of us just in Garden City to witness to about the love and the grace of Christ. And Brad also spoke on the secret heart of the church. And he states that the secret heart of the church is prayer. And the way that he defined prayer was entering into God's love with a willingness to be vulnerable before him. Entering into God's love with a willingness to be vulnerable before him. And I I got to asking myself, is is that how I view prayer, being vulnerable before God? And he also stated that every single church he ever interviewed for these books he's written, every church that was thriving had prayer at its core. But that looked different for each community, right? So, there was either a group of older women who would pray every Tuesday or a Wednesday night group that would get together and so on. But there was always a group of believers within the church lifting it up together. <clears throat> and churches who do not have an active prayer life can fall into what he calls uh acedia. And acedia is this ancient word, but it, essentially what it means is it's a sense of despair or sloth. It is a a lack of concern or a feeling of overwhelmingness or like nothing matters. Like any of the work you do, none of it matters. And there is spiritual acedia, which is a lack of concern on anything involving God's kingdom. And he states that at the root of this is failing to take notice of God, failing to see what God is doing And feeling as though your work is meaningless. And the way to conquer this is through prayer, prayer and encouragement, but not just ordinary prayer. Like there's different types of prayer, reflective prayer, looking back on life and seeing what God has been doing, seeing the fact that there's still a hundred of us here, even though we haven't had a minister for over a year. Right. Seeing the way that our four elders have rose up and all the different things they've taken on themselves, right, in the past year and a half. Seeing all the different aspects that are continuing in this church and the way that the Spirit is moving. And prayer is communing with God. It's a key to walking with each other, and it transfigures our relationships with God, right? Like Brad stated that prayer is keeping company with God, and we don't pray because we want something. It is walking with him and communing with him, keeping the relationship going, keeping the relationship with Christ going. And as we go through Scripture, we see there are several times that Christ addressed prayer right. In John 15:5, Jesus states that apart from me, you can do nothing, prayer and encouragement. In John 15:12, he states that this is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you in Matthew six, when he's talking about the spiritual disciplines, he lists prayer, giving and fasting. And in the parables in the gospel of Luke that Jesus teaches in chapter 11 and 18, he teaches us to pray without ceasing and not to give up to constantly keep praying. Now, there are other instances where this is addressed all throughout the New Testament, but the ones that were spoken of there were Romans twelve, twelve through 13. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And in Acts 2.42, the early church states that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. And in Acts 6.4, it states that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I think Chris kind of touched on this a little earlier. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul speaks about how we can do all these things, but if there is not love, then it's useless. Without love, all is lost. Churches that begin to see an absence of love will begin to struggle for survival, spiritually at least. And so we see that prayer, encouragement, and witnessing are all components in the spiritual health of a church, and they all must be performed in love, love for each other, and love for Christ. And so here in a moment, I'm going to ask you some questions that Brad had asked, and give us like 10 seconds on each one to reflect, but in speaking on prayer in the church, there's something that I came across while I was out there, and I hope that this encourages all of us, okay? So... In Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, New York, and Iowa, there are men and women, elders and preachers that are praying just for our church, just for Sycamore Grove. And some of them have even offered to drive 18 hours to come here to preach a message of encouragement to us, to keep us embracing each other and embracing the Spirit. And I thought that was something that was just absolutely incredible. I was not expecting that. Um, but it, it was very amazing being out there and seeing the way that the Spirit is moving and seeing that we are a part of it, even though we're so far away from those other churches. So here's the questions that I would like to ask that Brad asked us and some others. So on a scale of one to five, one being the worst, five being the best, how involved is your church in the local community? On a scale of one to five, how involved is your church and your local community? On a scale of one to five, how important is prayer in your life? In your personal walk, on a scale of one to five, how important is prayer? On a scale of one to five, how important is communal prayer in your church? How important is communal prayer in your local church? When speaking on the long memories, is there anything you've experienced negatively in your local church that lasts with you? Is there anything you've experienced positively that lasts with you and you will always take? What does our church excel at? As a church, what is it that we excel at? What does our church need to work at? What is something that we need to work at as a body? When reflecting over the last few years, how have you done in uplifting your brothers and sisters? Looking back over the last few years, how have you done in uplifting your brothers and sisters? Are you willing to pray with your brother or sister about anything they bring to you? And think about that. Are you willing to pray with your brother or sister about anything they bring to you? Are there brothers or sisters in the church that you feel comfortable enough with approaching them and asking for prayer? About anything in your life? Are there people here that you can bring anything to concerning prayer? And then, last, how often do you pray for your church? How often do you pray for your local church? in closing, even though we were talking about conference, there was a scripture that kept sticking out to me for the last couple of days. I'd like for us to read it together. If you would, grab your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 through 16, James chapter 5. James is addressing his brother and he's speaking on suffering and he, he talks about the endurance of Job and so on. Reminding that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And then, verse 13 Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I hope that this is something that's helped. I hope that it's something that spurs conversations. And I hope that as we continue in the days ahead, the spirit continues to move on us and with us here at Sycamore. Let's pray. Christ, I thank you for all you've given us. thank you for these beautiful summer days. I pray that you continue to walk with us as a congregation. I pray that you continue to help guide us into the future, whatever that may be. I pray that you continue to give our leaders wisdom and strength and endurance. I pray that you continue to help them to lean on you in all things. Help us to lean on you in all things. Help us to give grace to each other, restore trust in each other, to love each other, to move with each other forward under your banner, the blood of Christ. Amen.